Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. We are so excited to have with us today, Melina Palmer. Welcome, Melina. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, So Melina is the author of the book, What Your Employees Need and Can't Tell You. And uh, we were just chatting before we started about the title. Is there anything you want to say about that title in particular? (laughs) Well, it's uh, definitely one where the nuance is important, right? So we've got multiple employees. My first book is What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You, and then we have Employees Need and Can't Tell You. So uh, typically you have multiple teams and you want to focus on the individual, but multiples and, you know, even if people wanted to tell you, it's not that they won't tell you what they need. They they truly can't because of the way our brains work, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into as we chat. So definite nuance in there. And uh, whatever people end up calling it, you can still probably find it. <laughs> Fantastic. That sounds good. Um, so Melina, for those who may not be uh, familiar with your work yet, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey and why you wrote your first book and then your the second book? Sure. So I am an applied behavioral economist. And so I help people to understand how the brain really works when it goes into the psychology of how people act, choose, change, and buy. And so not when we think about our brains and how they work, we don't really intuitively get it, even though we all have brains. And so we operate a lot in that land of should. Everyone should like this. People should be on board with this change. People should know that this is valuable to them. But when we actually make decisions, it's really not in the shoulds. <laughs> and so being able to understand how the brain really makes decisions is is what I do to help people to communicate better with their teams. My first life, I guess, uh, after I, my undergrad was in marketing and business administration. And so I worked in industry for 10 years and then found behavioral science uh, and was able to make a transition there into um, that applied behavioral economics space. And in that process found that when I got my degree, it was still pretty early and things that were so clear to me about how all this applied to uh, pricing strategy and communication and change and branding, just nobody was talking about yet. The field was still very academic. So that led to starting my podcast, The Brainy Business, which launched in July of 2018 and was the first of its kind in the world. So we've had the uh, benefit of hundreds of thousands of downloads from over 170 countries, people just finding the brainy business and that content there and how to apply behavioral economics. And over time had people saying, I hear you talk about it and I love it and I get it. I'm inspired and I'm not really sure where to start. You know, what, what do I do first? How do I go about applying this information? And so 
that in addition to consulting led to the first book, uh, what your customer wants and can't tell you. And, and really started with that one because the brand marketing customer facing stuff was just the easiest thing for me because of my background in, in the space, but knowing then employee communication is so important as well. Uh, in this time, I've also started teaching at Texas A&M University, and we have a certificate in applied behavioral economics. And so I have multiple classes I teach, one of them on internal communication and change management. So that became book two and you know, already planning book three, which is more in the pricing strategy space. <laughs> So. That's fantastic. Well, you you sure are busy. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yep. Um, and I and I love I love that you um, you mentioned that you are teaching a course on internal communications and change management because it's it's the when you think about the culture shifts that happen in change management, it is important to think of that that internal communication and that internal branding piece that has to happen that really will engage your employees. So. I find that fascinating. In your book, you talk about um, micro shift moments. Can you talk a little bit about what that concept is? Absolutely. So when we think about change from all of life, but we'll use this as a business angle, right? We, We think about change as only being the really big stuff. We have a new CEO. We're dealing with a merger. We're doing a huge shift to a new building maybe, or we're rebranding. And those are the points where we say, if it needs a project team, that's a change that we need to focus on. In reality, the average person makes 35,000 decisions every single day, 35,000 decisions a day that people are making. And it's those little tiny moments the so the subconscious brain is making the bulk of those because we can't evaluate consciously like really process all those we wouldn't be able to get anything done and so we need those rules of thumb that the subconscious uses to make decisions to help us get through the day and behavioral economics and behavioral science deals with the rules that that part of the brain uses to make a choice so when we look at a change, it would be really great if we could say, oh, those other things don't matter because they're not important enough. We only need to focus on this big stuff. And when we have one you know, item on the to-do list that's saying, tell people about the change and they're like, check, we did it. <laughs> but that's not really how it works. Even little tiny shifts can have a really huge impact on the way we feel about our environment, uh, the way we feel about people on our teams, the way we feel about a change. So really change isn't about the change. It's about the way it's communicated and everything that happens around that. And those micro shift moments are opportunities to be able to make small tweaks in the way that we deliver information that can have a really significant impact for ourselves and our teams so that people will be naturally more responsive to change instead of uh, feeling like they have to kind of rebel against it because our brains are wired to love the status quo. So any change can be difficult, especially if it's presented in the wrong way. So I, I find that fascinating because when you look at historical change management and um, as someone who's had a now a 30-year career that's toggled between academia and corporate, um, you know, change management has been probably one of the big you know, behemoth type uh, topics that I think companies are always 
wrestling with, right? And trying to figure out what's the right way to do it. How do we do it? How do we get our employees to embrace it? So when you talk about these, if in a follow-up to that, when you talk about these micro shift moments, um, how as a, as a leader of an organization or even a, a team leader, can you start to just take advantage of these micro shift moments? If you do know that six, 12 months out, you're going to have to probably pivot strategy or, you know, change is always inevitable. So how do you make your uh, team maybe more resilient to this change um, by leveraging those micro shift moments? For sure. So um, in my opinion, and as I say in the book, um, every interaction and conversation is one of change. So we are either in the midst of a change, we're in the wake of one that has recently happened, or we're prepping for change yet to come, like you were saying, in that six, 12 months out. And so if we think about all those little decision points, those those micro moments as snowflakes, we can either be building up snowballs for change, or we're having to fight against kind of a tundra of nightmares <laughs> if we're not thoughtful about this all along the way. So one thing that's really important to note is that when we get stressed, when we have lots of pressure on us, particularly time pressure is a form of stress that's really a big deal in work. It makes us so we are more likely to revert and rely on the status quo and not like the idea of change. So lots and lots of deadlines, lots and lots of competing priorities and stress and to-dos and things on our task list will make it so people are less responsive uh, in a positive way toward change. So whatever we can do to be eliminating some of that extra stuff is really going to go a long way when it's time for a change to come, when we are asking someone for something a little bit bigger. And to be thoughtful about little things like, you know, if we do know that a reorg is coming, and maybe you can't talk about it yet, but you know it's coming in the next three months, don't plan to also update a system at that time, or even to have people move desks or to hopefully not have to train new people. If there's going to be construction outside the building and people are having to take a different route to work, that can impact our cognitive load and make it so we're less responsive to change within the workplace. So being more thoughtful about everything that is around is really important. And investing time up front in the way we communicate information to reduce a lot of busy work. So I get that in a in an organization, you know, it's one it's one thing for me to say have less deadlines. You say, well, yeah, but right. <laughs> I'm those are coming down to me. There's nothing I can do about that. But if you think about how you're communicating, those little one-off messages that you sent quickly in the middle of the night because you were busy and trying to catch up. And then all the follow-up communication that comes from that, that adds up that you could have avoided if you had been a little bit more thoughtful on the front end. So I have a, an example I share in the book of a previous boss uh, who I had only been working for for a few months. And I got an email at 10 a.m. on a Thursday that said, uh, we need to talk, be in my office at two, which is a terrifying email <laughs> to get <laughs> at any time. <laughs> and so, you know, I spent the next four hours researching every project I was working on and every person I was in communication with and everything that I possibly done coming in ready, you know, to defend 
whatever may come up. And then, you know, 159 waved in to, you know, gesture, sit down and says, I just wanted to let you know, I'm going to be out of the office tomorrow. And you're the person in my email that I'm communicating for people to talk to while I'm away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. You could have just put that in the email. (laughs) And that was it, right? That was the bulk of what it was. Uh, And so in that case, this was uh, someone who was very busy, easier for them to communicate in that way. And they say, you know, she saved a few moments in sending a quick email, but I lost four hours and more of productive work. I have said when I was writing that story more than 10 years later for the book, uh, I felt my heart rate increase. I was in the moment. It was so impactful for me. And to think that if in that moment would have just said, Hey, like I'm going to be out tomorrow. Love to go over a few things. Can we meet it too? very different say, oh yeah, no problem. Right. And so if we think if she had had something bad to share with me at that point, am I ready to hear it? Am I going to be receptive to that? Of course not. And it's based on the way that email was sent. I talk about it in the book as burnt popcorn, right? You want to look, popcorn's a great scent until someone burns it. And we've all had many meetings that have lost all their productivity because someone burnt a bag of popcorn in the office. (laughs) And so you just want to think if those, the emails you're sending, those quick conversations, those little moments, if they're coming off as burnt popcorn and really derailing everything, or if it's helping to support your, whatever your initiative happens to be. I love that metaphor. That's fantastic. (laughs) So in, in talking about what makes managers great, um, you, you described some characteristics of how managers can, uh, engage their employees. What are, what are some tips you would have? Yeah. So when it comes to engaging employees, uh, the book talks about understanding, um, whether people are motivated intrinsically or extrinsically and how you can support and think about incentives. It's definitely not, there are actual full books and and much that go specifically into that, but it's a piece of the book. Helping people to be able to be a part of the process is one thing that's really impactful. The IKEA effect is something we talk about in behavioral science that when someone is able to be part of creating a project or part of a team, they're more likely to support it. I have a framework for change in the book that I call It's Not About the Cookie. And as I said, you know, change isn't about the change and price isn't about price. You know, it's the way we present information has such an impact on how people receive it, like we said in that Burt Popcorn piece there. And so when we think about engaging our team members, being a little bit more open with them, helping them be part of the process and reducing the amount of busy work that they're having to deal with can help it to be so that they're more likely to be responsive to change. We can also be looking at opportunities where we can be supporting the team with nudges, uh, which it's a funny thing when we think about our team members, and this is people that report to you or people Uh, that don't, which is arguably more difficult to have influence on people that have no reason to listen to you at all (laughs) because they've got their own initiatives and bosses, is when when you think about how you can present information to make it so they're excited, that they they want to support it, uh, that they can see the value in what is to come, 
it it's just a very subtle shift and it can make it so it's really, really easy for them if you, you know, are a, a little bit more thoughtful up front. Fantastic. And, you know, I, I, um, I have a, I have a team that I, I manage with some of my colleagues that all of these tips that you're, you're recommending and being more thoughtful. I have a million ideas running through my head of communications I have sent. And so, um, you know, you talk about this concept of also bias in the way that we change. And so, you know, as someone who manages people, what are um, what are the biases or the beliefs that might get in the way of real progress, either for ourselves as team leaders, or how are we getting in, in the way of progress with our team? Yeah. So part two of the book is, so part one is you know, how the brain really works, ways to set up to be more responsive to change, understanding how we want to think about change in these smaller moments, what makes a great manager, some of what we talked about here. Part two is then looking at these scenarios that we see in the workplace and understanding bias and the rules that the brain uses to make decisions so we can work with it instead of against it. And so that is really a first piece. There are a lot of organizations out there who have set a goal or are intending to become completely unbiased, you know, to say we're going to be an unbiased organization. That is not possible. Our brains run on bias. That is how that subconscious makes these thousands of decisions every single day. We will not get rid of that. And so moving instead to say we want to understand bias and know what's important that we can be leveraging in the way that we understand our decision making is a piece that's important. Uh, and so understanding that we, like one simple piece here would be that um, we, as a herding species, we look to other people like us to help us make decisions of what we like or want to move forward with. And so understanding that herding and an us versus them mentality, we're very tribal. And so if your organization is one that is set up where you have us versus them for departments and background, so it's not just gender um, or age or things like that, but we are affiliating ourselves with little mini tribes all throughout the day. And so if you say, okay, this is marketing and their finance and they're a them in that way, that can be really difficult in getting people to be inclusive and having your teams working well together. And so instead to say, you know, we're team company, and helping to expand those circles of empathy so you can have more of an us mentality. We afford, give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we're likely to work better together when we're set up in this way from just a simple shift in the way that you present your teams You know, can make a huge difference in a trickle-down effect to how we work together. An example of something I love to share here is, so it's called fundamental attribution error, but if you imagine... Uh, when someone cuts you off in traffic, they are a jerk. We hate them. Everything about them is built into this persona of what a terrible person they are. And that is all that they they are. Mm -hmm. When we cut someone off in traffic, we have all the explanation of I was running late. I'm a good person. I don't typically do that. You know, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We do this at work as well in the us versus them space. Say if someone's late to the meeting. If someone is late to the meeting and there are them, 
say, oh, they're so selfish. Don't they know we're all busy too? How rude of them. They are bad. If we're running late, you say, well, people know I'm in back-to-backs and I've got lots going on and I have to get a snack and whatever else, right? Um, but we don't. We give ourselves a different kind of backstory and we would do that for our work best friend as well, right? Mm-hmm. If, because they're part of the team us in that way. So for one, without giving ourselves a complex, it's important to note that we are many other people's them and they're not giving us the same benefit of the doubt that we think that they should or would. Uh, But also to look when we do have that reaction going, she or he is so this, right? To say, if that was my best friend, is that how I would feel about that? If they were part of my team, is that how I would feel about that? Those little shifts to focus on something new. We also have a focusing illusion and confirmation bias that comes into play here. Uh, It can help us to just expand those circles of empathy and be part of the bigger team to make it so we're more likely to work together and that makes change easier. I'd love to ask a follow-up to that. So we had um, Brant Cooper, uh, who's an author of The Lean Entrepreneur uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He actually spoke about the importance of teams, especially in remote workplaces, which I thought was really interesting that when you think about it in the context of in-person versus remote, that the team dynamic is it becomes more important in, in a remote setting because you want people to feel connected and part of a community. Um, so if you work for an organization and you lead a team of say five or six people and you're trying to create that, how do you also create the kind of cross-functional camaraderie community um, when you're also just trying to you know put your resources towards making sure that your remote team is feeling included and part of something. And and that takes quite a bit of effort. Yeah. And, and definitely in a hybrid or fully virtual environment, we have to be creating these opportunities that we used to just sort of serendipitously have in a physical workspace where people happen across each other and you're able to have that little chit chat. Those things that may have been lost in a lot of organizations are so important in that groundwork that we're able to lay where we're getting the benefit of the doubt and becoming in us, right? So we want to know how people are like us. And there's a, so Robert Cialdini, uh, amazing, wonderful man, and has done such great research, his book, Influence highly recommend. Uh, And in the new and expanded version, he talks about this concept of unity and how it makes influence so much easier when we can be essentially an us. And so to say, you know, we are uh, parents, we are um, people that have a background in marketing, we're podcasters, we are, again, we have many identities throughout the day. And when we can find those commonalities of things that our core and central to who we are, it helps us to bond together to help be part of that that us group. And so, yes, we want to have that with our teams, but, you know, one just sort of simple thing you could do because no one likes the virtual happy hour, right? The, that is not a good. (laughs) Well, I mean, they were very popular in 2020 and spring of 2020, but they were popular for companies 
making people go to them. Yeah. They weren't necessarily <laughs> a, a value add yeah. of things that people <laughs> like to be able to do, yes. but you want and need to replicate some of that. And mm-hmm. so having opportunities to say, um, have different people on the team have a meeting that you get randomly assigned someone that you're going to have a coffee chat with once a day that could be from varying areas of the organization. Uh, And whether it's once a day or once a week to say you have a, you know, 15 or 20 minute, and there are some specific types of questions that you maybe are supposed to have in your conversation to help with prompts that are more likely to trigger a vulnerability loop, which is something I talk about in the book a little bit, uh, that, help us to feel more open and connected where you have that little bit of vulnerability makes it where we're more likely to feel that camaraderie and team building. It's like uh, when people are pledging a frat or a sorority and you go through something together, you, you're you much more connected on the other side. You can create that um, with little moments and, and well-tailored uh, questions to help see how we're like other people. And so something like that, even really simple uh, part of the day that we're doing anyway, and it could be, you know, asking what people are passionate about, what projects they're excited to be working on, you know, what they uh, are, you know, most interested in pursuing. That's an opportunity. Also, you know, there are companies like Google and and many others that now do this like 10% time where you're able to work on something that you're excited about that has nothing to do with your role. And that freedom has come up with some really amazing products for companies uh, over time. And, you know, post-it notes being one from 3M back in the day on this. And if you do um, encourage people to you know, connect with someone from another department to talk about what they're interested in to kind of kick that off. You know, it can help to um, just be creating this web of interconnectedness that's really valuable as a foundation for the larger team as well as within individual teams. Yeah, I think that's such a fantastic idea because, um, you know, I recently joined a new company um, being Corn Ferry and my first six weeks was meeting a thousand people and, and having half hour conversations. And now I, I get so, um, I'm so afraid that when I do have these scheduled meetings, I'm like, okay, were they in that first hundred people that I met? Because I hope to God, I remember. They right. right. Um, because it was just drinking from the fire hose and I was in this learning mode. Um, and I mean, my brain was in a totally different place than you know, where it is today. Um, And so just as an ongoing, and here's the thing, I probably don't know if I'll ever connect with those folks again, unless it's again, part of a process or an activity or something that we can do where we're bringing people together in, you know, spontaneous ways where we can uh, connect people who maybe wouldn't interact on a daily basis in their work, but understanding each other's kind of function within the, within the, the workplace is, is important. I have one more question. This has been fantastic around communication strategies, because you talked about the importance of internal communication in change management. And what are the types of com, uh, communication strategies that you feel you know companies can use to help expedite change? Um, and I'm just curious of, around your thoughts as it relates to kind of modern technology. You know, being in the marketing space, obviously marketing channels have dramatically shifted, and mm-hmm. 
social media and digital technology um, has completely changed the way that we network and, and connect with other people and communicate. So, you know, from an internal organization perspective that's undergoing change, how can you leverage some of those communication strategies to uh, make change happen quicker? Yeah. So one thing that's important to note, that's a really important concept for all change and in, in communication and work is that of framing. So how we say something matters more than what we say. Uh, imagine you're going to the store to buy some ground beef and some are labeled as 90% fat free and the stack next to it is 10% fat. We really like the first one much more than the other, even though we know it's saying the same thing. So to be aware of if we're communicating about our changes as 10% fat all the time, uh, people aren't going to like it regardless of how we talk about it. So it could be a perfectly great change if we just shift a little bit to be more in that 90% fat-free language. That can be really helpful. To also leverage something like the IKEA effect, uh, which I was talking about there, that's where some of these technology pieces can be really helpful for us. And so if you are asking for feedback, so for one... Don't invite people to provide um, their feedback, their insight, their thoughts, if you know you're not going to use it. That is just a really bad strategy that is going to backfire on you and make people feel like it's just not worth it, that nobody cares what I have to say. So if you do have opportunities where you can ask for feedback, whether you have an intranet or you're using any of these modes of communication to your team, you send out a weekly update or something, if you're able to then showcase, you know, and say, uh, Melina from XYZ department came up with this amazing idea. This is how it's been implemented, celebrating the change that came from this. Thank you for the feedback. Melina's allowed us to uh, XYZ. We now have it saved the company this much money or it made this process so much more efficient. Thank you so much for what you've done here. And then you have an area where people are able to submit ideas of things that they like. And maybe you have upvotes where people are able to say, I love this too. That's another opportunity for creating that culture of people that might not find each other. If you have these open chats of like random thoughts or it, ideas for improvement, you know, things come to us at random times, not just within a meeting. And so if there's a place to house all this information where people can say, hey, I was thinking about this. Has anyone else been working on something like that? And then people can find those paths for communication and just have this open discussion, it makes it to where a virtual space can be really, really powerful. So that's another opportunity for a reframe. When we all had to adjust in March 2020, April 2020, you know, it was this, okay, we don't like this. We have to deal with this new thing for as long as we can, and it's going to be worse, but we'll deal with it until is a, a mindset that a lot of people had, whether it was for in-person conferences or meetings or whatever else. But you don't have to think about it that way, right? That's a framing on it. If instead you take a step back and say, what are the amazing things that we can do that we could never have in person? What are the benefits that we have? How can this be more valuable to us? You know, we can have people in India that are connecting with those in South Africa and are able to then, you know, team up with the US and, you know, whatever else that we're all able to do that there are more opportunities for those serendipitous moments if we leverage technology in a way to make that happen instead of trying to force fit 
something that we know is a worse version into, like I said, Zoom happy hour or something that (laughs) is no fun at all. So uh, those are just a couple opportunities. I mean, that's fantastic. You know, retrospectively, hindsight's always 2020, of course. But if you think about the amount of time that was afforded to us in March of 2020, April of 2020, and if we had taken a step back to say, okay, we're all going to have a lot more time. What is what is it that we would want to do that we've never had the time to do at work? Or what project do we want to start to tackle or research? Um, would have that have been a fantastic perspective? Most of us were just, you know, trying to figure out what this all meant, of course. But uh, going forward, we can think about the framing of those types of moments. Um, Melina, this has been an amazing conversation. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure to say to the audience before we go? (laughs) Oh, I, well, I mean, just, I always have lots to say as a fellow podcaster and having two books. So I'd say if for everyone who thought that was interesting and wants to learn more, you know, the brainy business has 227 episodes as we're talking now of lots of content there. Um, and you can, you know, find more at thebrainybusiness.com for books and podcasts and all sorts of things, trainings. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I am a listener and uh, really appreciated your uh, book, What Your Employees Need and Can't Tell You. So uh, highly recommend it. Melina, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to talk to you. Of course. Thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.